1: Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 235 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 27th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the Parastyle Podcast. We've got a bunch of questions to get to. We'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Call 206-888-6755 or go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right on the web page from your computer. We have Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. He's going to talk about being down at USC practice, what's been going on now that fall camp is over, getting into game week this week with Hawaii only six days away, or five days away, I guess so you could say now. And Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment, as always, we're going to talk to him about this USC football team. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you?
2: Well, buddy, it's countdown now. It's time to, you know, the age in the bar. Time now to polish up and get the shoes polished. And, by the way, we can talk about the shoes they're going to wear.
1: We got a get question the, on uh, that. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. Get the, get the Trojan helmet on the helmet or get the Trojan on the helmet. Polish the uh, – you know, get everything fitted. Make sure that the new game jerseys fit and tailored properly. And uh, get everybody healed up and get ready for the, you know, the, the number one challenge of the year. You only have 12 of them, and you got to treat them all equally was if you uh, fall down on one of them, uh, you'll never forget it. So this one here is the game opener, and I don't worry about or the season opener. I don't worry about season openers as far as emotional and ready to play. I see that in every team. Uh, you've got to look at all the other things that go along with it, but it's a great opportunity. I understand the game is sold out as far as they announced it was sold out. There can't be better a better home opener on uh, Labor Day weekend.
1: All right, well, before we jump into everything, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for, of course, USC football, any other sporting event, Dodgers, Angels, anything like that, concerts, theaters, all that stuff. You can go to sctickets.com, and they will take care of you. And, uh, Coach, you mentioned those, those cleats. Maybe we'll start off with that question. Matt Barkley tweeted a picture of the new cleats that USC was going to wear and their cardinal and gold color, and Rob in Redondo Beach said he was horrified at the new cardinal and gold cleats. He's kind of more traditionalist, doesn't want to see that uh, the kind of new flashy cleats that Matt Barkley tweeted out there.
2: Well, you know, I sort of agree with him. You know, uh, uh, tradition is something uh, Why you go to USC and what you play for and the whole atmosphere of being a Trojan. And a lot of universities have that. I don't know if you'll ever see Alabama in those shoes. Uh, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe Nike uh, is making them uh, wear these shoes for publicity so they can sell more of them. But uh, because they're uh, an official sponsor of USC as far as all their athletic teams and equipment and so on. But uh, no, I don't. I don't like that. And I heard that little comment too. And I don't know if the papers quote Lane properly or not. But it said that coach kiffin said he liked the shoes because it's something that oregon's doing well you know i would never copy an opponent whatever they're doing i mean uh, you come to fc because of that let oregon be uh, what they are and if that's really popular to wear all those different uniforms so that when you watch them play you really don't know who they are and uh, kids i think it's a distraction i really do kids start talking about the shoes and things like that i mean game week, you want to talk about the shoes or what uniform you're going to wear or, hey coach, I like this combination or can we have our helmets uh, blue this week or whatever I think that's all a, di- a distraction I want my kids to know when they go in the locker room it's the same shoe, it's the same jersey it's the same pant with the same stripe and everything else so uh, I, like you just said, Matt Barkley uh, whatever you said it tweeted Tweeted out the shoe. Well, that's a distraction. Who cares about the shoe? It's who wears the shoe that I care about and how that shoe plays. So that's just my feeling. Uh A lot of you out there might disagree with me. But uh, I'm old school that way, and I want to do away with all the distractions. I want to do my focus with my team and my coaches on what we have to accomplish, not talk about uniforms and this and that.
1: Well, we will get to see how those shoes play in just a few short days, this Saturday at the Coliseum. Um, Lee had a question for you, coach. And I wanted to we wanted to bring this up anyway. He said because you were at the you were you were there Saturday for the the simulated game, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But kind of leading into that, Lee wanted to know, he said, why is coach Harvey Hyde so critical of the USC scrimmage and and coaching staff choices? USC is trying to keep kids healthy. And get young players lots of experience, and and you were kind of critical about them. It didn't look like a number one team practicing, but I think that kind of changed a little bit over the weekend. Maybe you'll get your get your thoughts on all of that.
2: Well, I said that with the uh, with the scrimmage in the Coliseum, and I think if you read the papers and you talked to Lane Kiffin and read the interviews, he felt the same way. It wasn't just me saying, and of course that's just my opinion. And I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to give you my opinion. On what I see, I think everybody said the same thing. It wasn't just me. I just said it immediately and honest and frank, and tried to tell you in a in a positive way that they need to do some things better to be a number one ranked team. Because, like I said, you know you're favored in every game, and no one is expected to beat you. And if they do happen to beat you, then you've made their season. So I think every little thing works, and I think that Lane Kiffin's approach the whole week last week completely differently i think their practices were all positive uh, they they utilized their players receivers uh, they threw passes they 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 still have to and i'm going to say this i'm going to be critical they see th- they still had interceptions what they shouldn't have i say this don't be afraid to throw the ball away uh, you've got to eliminate those type of mistakes that's what beats you so if you've got to Improve. you got to remember, I used to tell my team every day and every way we should get a little bit better and better. That's in everything we do, everything we do, the way we dress, the way we ride the bus, the way we go to class, the way we do everything. And uh, I don't know. My opinion was that the two scrimmages they had at the Coliseum were not up to the standards of what you would expect offensively uh, from USC but now this week I thought that they accomplished a lot and Saturday I was very happy with what I saw offensively and we can get into that too I love the way they utilize their receivers wasn't oh I don't want to start doing it at all I think they ought to do more crossing routes and they ought to use the tight end more but uh we'll talk about that
1: okay um well yeah I, I, I guess that's a good segue there to get your thoughts on what what you saw at the scrimmage on Saturday it was a uh... Full full uniform, full pads, everything, uh, you know, on the field. They tried to simulate a game as much as possible. They stayed in a hotel the night before, and they ran the ones and twos offense against the scout team defense, and then they ran the, the scout team offense against the ones and twos defense there. So, so you liked what you saw, apparently.
2: I like what I saw because of the effort the scout team gave. They were into it. They gave him a 100% look, and you had good players on the scout team. And John Minugan did a great job of leading that with the enthusiasm and making sure people lined up properly. That's the quarterback that runs a scout team. He came back to do this for that purpose. I thought that uh, that they gave, gave a lot of enthusiasm. They got excited when they made big plays. And I think that's what it's all about. It's what your scout team does to prepare the, uh, the varsity or the team that's going to play on Saturday. And I thought you, I thought I saw that effort. I thought I saw the team coming together, and I think that's what's important. The scout team as well as the ones and twos that ran against the scout team. I thought the offense performed a lot better. They were smooth, and I liked, the, the, I liked it when they called delay a game. You've got to get used to that. You've got to get used to that. When they spot the ball, is, I think it's 30 seconds, you got to snap the ball. Or when the play's over, it starts. I mean, you got to get the play and get it going, and if you don't get your play going in time, this is delay a game. And I like that call being going, that, that they were doing on Saturday. Uh, if you notice in the papers and everything on Sunday, it said offense looks great. Offense looks great. There wasn't much talk at all about the defense, but it's hard to really discover how well the defense did on Saturday because the scout team actually moved the football. They moved the football, and uh, I don't know how many people were out there that will agree with me, but Pame looked like a, an all-pro. He did. And Manougian hit him right down the middle of the field. Do you agree with me?
1: No, he he looked great, and uh, we asked actually asked uh, Lane Kiffin about it afterwards, and he they put him with the twos offense sometimes, not just with the scout team offense, and he lined up wrong a couple times. So it's it's more about consistency for him. He certainly has all the talent in the world, and I think Lane Kiffin needs to he needs to show Lane Kiffin that he can line up in the right spot and be be dependable because they don't want to put him in a game situation and have him mess up.
2: No, and I agree with that. You've got to learn how to line up before you can play. But he certainly did perform well on Saturday, and I think a lot of people took notice of that. He played hard. He made great catches. He ran the ball hard. After he caught the football, I thought the scout team blocked well. And it's hard to say if a guy gets tackled or not tackled or the quarterback is sacked or whatever. But I thought that uh, the scout team certainly gave, gave the defense a look. They challenged the defense, and I think that's really what you need to see when you go against an opponent. You've got to see it full speed. You can't walk through it, and the scout team gave that defense that look, and I think that was very, very important for the defense, and I think they got better, and I think the offense got better. So when I say they had a good scrimmage or a good thud period, I think both sides of the football – Got better with substitutions, timing, getting the snap off in time, all of those things that I saw on Saturday. So I'm positive about Saturday's workout regarding the scout team, the kicking game, in all phases of the Saturday practice. It was a great way to end up camp.
1: All right. Uh, Well, let's jump into some questions, Coach. Uh, Lamar from the Antelope Valley said he's a little concerned about the left tackle Andre Walker. I know he'd been banged up, but I don't feel good about his status um, when he when I read about him giving up sacks uh, in practice. I truly believe that they should give Max Turek a harder look at the starting role. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, you know, uh, Max Turek's just done a great job. Great job. I was talking to a lot of the parents out there on Saturday, and he's amazing on how fast he's. Learned the play booklet and uh, the playbook and and challenge Walker. And I think it's made Walker a better football player. I think you need that to become a better football player. And when you have competition, that's where you get better. Remember, you don't get better in the game. You get better during the week in practice when you go against the best defensive ends in the country. And you know you have somebody that if you mess up is going to take your position. And that's what competition brings. I think this will make Walker a better football player and it will make Max a better football player. Why? Well, Max knows he can play, and Max knows that he's going to continue to improve. He didn't have spring practice like Walker. So he, he's going to be a force, and Walker will be a football player. He's got tremendous talent. That's one thing he has, quick feet for a big man. He just needs to grow up. He's got a man's body, and he's still a little bit of a kid. But he's got to grow up. And a couple of times when he gets punched in the mouth several times and and uh, when he gets beaten, I hope he doesn't, don't get me wrong, he'll grow up because uh, he knows if he doesn't grow up in a hurry and, and perform, Max is right behind him. So I think it's great for that position. It's great for that position because they'll both become better football players.
1: Okay, uh, let's move on. There was a bunch of questions we got about the – Depth on the defensive line, and I'll read a couple of them here to you. Stephen Poway thought maybe move Jordan Simmons or Zach Banner. um, Jordan Simmons is actually out this year with uh, he had knee surgery, so you can't move Jordan Simmons. But Zach Banner uh, to defensive tackle, or he says move maybe Jabari Ruffin, who's a bigger linebacker, or Marquis Simmons or or Marcus Simmons. I'm sorry, um, from linebacker to the defensive line. So some people are talking about moving players and then Ray wants to know, could USC switch to a three, four It's probably a little late for that, but get, maybe get your thoughts coach on the uh, defensive line situation.
2: Well, you know, first of all, I think they're going to be all right in the defensive line. I mean, let's give them a chance. Coach, O will get those guys ready to play. Some players are playing a lot better than what people uh, or the coaches anticipated them playing. George Uko. I told his father on Saturday that someday that kid will be playing on Sunday, and he said to me, tell his mother that for me, will you? And I did. He's going to be a great football player. He is a great football player. I shouldn't say going to be. And I think that Woods has really improved. Woods will give you a high player. He can become and will become. You've got the other kids, Hayworth and so on, Cody and Temple, and then we'll back these guys up. I think everything will be all right at that defensive tackle position. The only thing you have to worry about if you lose a guy or lose two guys, and and that can happen at any time, but that can happen anywhere. That's the game of football. You can't go in uh, and be fearful about injuries. You've got to go in and say, they're going to happen, and we're going to adapt to them. It's not going to change our team. We're still going to win. Somebody else has to step up and play that position and get it done. Now, Will they go to a uh, 50 defense? I don't believe they will. It's not in uh, Monty Kiffin's playbook. They're going to stay where they are. They're going to play as they are. And remember, they'll get back Townsend and this Morgan uh, Breslin. Is that the way you pronounce his name?
1: Morgan Breslin. Yeah, he's been playing well, running with the ones. Yeah,
2: yeah, he has really improved. The J.C. kid that came in, I'll tell you, he's, he's now playing at a different level. Of all the J.C. players that came in now, I'm not talking about second day, of the linemen, the two JC linemen a year ago, and this kid is a defensive end. I think he's adjusted the quickest to Division One football. Remember, it's a different speed. The whole game is a different speed. You're playing with kids that are stronger than you are. Probably in JC, he was the strongest guy on his team. He comes to SC, and defensive backs are lifting as much weight as he is. So he's come along, he's adapted, he's going to be a good player. Townsend will be back. You've got Pavai out there. you got Wes Horton through the resting. He doesn't have to prove anything. So what you got to do is go with that, and you can play hard. You can't move Ruffin inside, but someday Ruffin's going to be an all pack 12 linebacker. He's a great player. In fact, I hope they don't even have to play him this year. I wish they could redshirt him. I really do. Some of these great players, you got to redshirt. Uh, Zach Banner, he's a redshirt prospect. He is. You want to redshirt him. He's a big, nice kid and so on. You want to redshirt some of these kids so that you have the numbers which you need in the future for great players. So, no, he's not a defensive uh, attitude. He, he's more of an offensive type of attitude, and uh, he's an offensive player. And, and moving Simmons inside, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that either. Uh, he gives you depth at the linebacker position. So you leave things alone. You go with it. Hope no one gets hurt. You play hard. You hope to get people out, get your defense off the field, and everything will be all right.
1: Okay, uh, let's go to Brad. Um, there was a lot of talk. Or I think Brad sent this about a week ago. Matt Barkley certainly had a better final week of practice, but he wants to know why isn't anyone worried about Matt Barkley? And, uh, you know, he obviously he's a Heisman candidate going into the season, but there was a lot of interceptions uh, throughout camp are you worried coach about matt barkley and should other people be worried
2: well i think you've heard me address this many many times uh as far as you know uh observing and, and not 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 taking a chance or or try to put too much pressure on yourself to live up to what your reputation is and that's what happens when you throw into coverages you it, you cannot be afraid to throw the ball out of bounds you can't be afraid to throw the ball out of bounds and you, don't, you really don't want Matt running with the football unless he has to. He's near the sideline We can get out of bounds, maybe make a first down by three or four yards or whatever. But you don't want him running. So, yeah, I'm concerned about that, interceptions, because I think when that happens, it takes the air out of the ball. For the whole team, the whole offensive team, because they expect to and their feelings are, you know, we're the best offensive team in the country. And you've got to play like that, because they really feel that way. And everybody's telling everybody they are. And, and and Matt, of course, is a Heisman Trophy candidate. So, though all those little things make a difference, so you you got to uh, perform well. And you and, and when you make a mistake, then it really bothers you, and uh, and then you can't continue making the same mistake. But uh, I think he'll mature. I hope he does. And uh, we don't have those turnovers as far as when I say we, that means the entire team as far as running backs and and fumble with receivers and, or whatever, and I hope there's a lot of turnovers created by the defense. because that's the difference in uh, games when you play great football teams. And USC this year has got quite a bunch of uh, different challenges on them. You know, they're not any automatics. I don't want people – I had a discussion with a guy at a coffee shop today, and he was telling me, Coach, coach," he says, what, what were you talking about? I mean, we got the greatest team in America. We've got the greatest team in America – you got the greatest team in America only when everybody plays like the greatest team in America, and some and sometimes you don't always play like that. So and they, well, what do you mean by that? I mean some people just don't understand how hard it is to win. There's so much parity out there, and great coaches and great athletes that everything's got to be right for you to win on a Saturday. And when you have the best athletes, everyone expects you to win. And when you have the preseason ratings like this, everybody expects you to win. And then when you win and you don't really look that good, you win ugly and everybody rips on you. And, you know, people call me on the show and want to know, what happened on Sunday, Coach, when I do the Sunday brunch down there? So, uh, and I tell you, realistically, what I see and what what needs to be done. I'm not critical on USC. If USC wins every football game, do you know how easy that makes it for me? <laughs> to be honest, to come back, you know what I mean, Ryan, and tell them what great deal. But I've tried to tell you, the hardcore football fan, you don't want me to come and just tell you what, she, what everybody else is telling you. If you do that, you don't need to listen to this podcast. I want to tell you what I see as a football coach and what you have to understand as a great observer or fan of football football and the football coaches out there. They know what I'm describing. There's a, there's certain things that you have to accomplish in order to be really good. And that's utilize all your personnel. Make sure your best players are always on the field, protect your players and do not have turnovers. Go ahead.
1: All right. Um, well, you were talked about Matt Barkley and the concern there. There's also talk about the backup quarterback position. um, Lane Kiffin yesterday in practice talked about, well, he hinted at that they were going to have some sort of announcement on Tuesday. He talked about it through camp that he did want to have a backup quarterback named. Um, he wanted to you know, give the the second team guy uh, you know, the, the appropriate reps when you're doing game preparation, but you didn't really need to except going into game preparation. Pretty much throughout camp, they've taken turns and one guy went first one day, one guy would go first the next day. But Mac D had a question. He said... With uh, Kiffin seemingly making an announcement on Tuesday about the backup quarterback, do you see them rotating each week between Wittick and Kessler? Both would gain experience and show a commitment to both and delay a transfer until next season. So Max worried about you name Wittick and Kessler could transfer, you name Kessler and Wittick could transfer. What are your thoughts on that backup situation?
2: Well, I think you have to name a backup. We've talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I went into it for a long period of time. If Matt went down the first play against Hawaii, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I hope it never happens to anybody. But if he did, the team's got to know who's number two. But you've still got a great football team. And they've got to have confidence on, in your number two quarterback. When he comes on the field, you've heard his snap count before. You know his get off. You know his rhythm. He knows the receivers. You bring a guy in that's never taken a snap, he's going to fumble. You bring a guy in and they've never heard him audible they can't hear him, or they don't recognize his voice. He hasn't looked at the receivers, and re- receivers don't understand his look. I think you have to have and name a second quarterback. I really do. And the team's got to know this guy can get it done. And they say, Matt went down, but Max is here, or Cody's here, or whoever. And I think that has to happen, and I think he has to name him. Now, Yeah. If someone transfers, that's part of it. I mean, you come to FC to compete. You knew when you came there that Matt was coming, Max was coming, or whoever was coming. You know that. You know the situation. And, and you don't want to transfer. You want to compete. Because what if something happened to Wittick? Or what if something happened to Kessler? Then you better be ready to step up and get in there. It's all part of what team sports are. You got to be part of a team, and as everybody talks about it, you got to have a T-shirt that says "team" in three-inch letters, and me in and one-inch letters. And you got to compete that way. And I think he will name a quarterback backup on Tuesday. And I think it's the right thing to do. And I don't think it'll cause a problem. You know why? If you were to take, if you were to take the offensive team, and you had them vote on the backup quarterback, the offensive team when no one raised their hand, you just threw it in a a can, write down a name. They would all put in probably the same person's name that the coach will announce. They all are together. They all watch film together. They all talk together and all. They might not know all the background of what you're looking for as a head football coach, as a quarterback coach uh, in, in your style of play. And, uh, but, uh, Everyone, I mean, I'm not going to tell you who I think it's going to be, because I don't think it's right to do that. A second guess. Yeah, but uh, I have in my mind who it's going to be. And I watch him play on Saturday. I watched him play in all the scrimmages. I watched him play in the spring. So I have an idea who I think it's going to be, and I'll tell you off the air. And you tell me if you, tomorrow, whenever they announce it, if I was right or wrong, I'll know if I was right or wrong.
1: Okay. And uh, then we got one last question, coach. It's a voicemail question, kind of overall of what you think the team is going to be like this year. Here you go.
3: Hey, Ryan, it's Miguel. I've got a question for you, Coach Harvey, and Dan Weber. wanted to know what are your predictions for this upcoming season, the record of USC? Do you think they go undefeated or not? Do you think they play in the national championship? Um, number two would be. Do you think a one-loss USC team would make it to the national championship game, assuming they win the Pac-12 championship? I find it kind of hard for USC to go undefeated. Since our depth at defense is um, not existent, especially at the defensive line, thank you very much and fight on.
2: Well, thank you very much for your question. First of all, it's very difficult to go undefeated. You've got to be lucky and you've got to be good. You've got to have everything on your side, and you've got to be uh, injury-free. Undefeated is something else. Alabama won the national championship last year, and they lost a game. So everything's got to go be, be right. You've got to be in the right place at the right time, get the right polls, get in that championship game, and you got a shot at it. First thing you got to do is win one game at a time. If you start looking past teams, you'll never be undefeated. You've got 12 hours. That's what it comes down to. Twelve hours a regular season play to decide what the whole year and the whole process has been as far as getting you to the first game, then the second game, the third game, the fourth game, whatever. Every play means so much. So to go undefeated, that puts a lot of pressure on kids. To play at the same emotional pace every week uh, and consistency and tendency is difficult. Uh, But I think if you have the luck, and you have the personnel, which I believe they have the personnel, and you utilize all of the above, they can go undefeated. But a lot of good things have to happen for USC for that to happen. I think that they've got some great challenges on the road, and they have to beat Oregon twice. Thinking of beating Oregon twice is something you say, wow. If you read in the Los Angeles Times today, they had them ranked third in the country that means the number one team in the country is sc and they're in pac 12 you got to beat the number three team at the beginning of the season preseason poll and i've never seen oregon lower than five in any poll twice hey that's pretty tough to do you deserve to go to the national championship game if you do that so uh, they've got a lot of challenges but i think they're determined and i think they're really hungry and i think they have a lot of confidence in themselves and i think that's important i don't think they have a weak position when you look at number ones in both offense and defense i think they could play with anybody on any given day i think they have to start the season the way they finish the season upbeat running game using all your receivers tackling well uh, getting turnovers kicking game smooth no block punts the whole package and if they do that week after week and they improve week after week, there's always that possibility. But thinking about going undefeated, yes, you think about it in the back of your mind, but you play one game at a time. And as a football coach and as a football player, that's the way you got to look at it.
1: Spoken like a true coach. Well, we appreciate you, Coach, for all the insight. And uh, thanks for everyone that sent in questions. We're going to take a quick break and come back in 30 seconds with Dan Weber. But thanks again, Coach, for joining the show. It's always good talking to you.
2: Thank you very much. And for all of you out there, thank you very much for checking in with us. And uh, and uh, have a great week. And I'll talk to you on Monday. And we'll talk about the game.
1: Sounds good, coach. We'll talk to you next week. It'll be interesting to see what happened USC against Hawaii, 39 point favorite. But like I said, back in 30 seconds with Dan Weber. Stay tuned.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, USCfootball.com. Looking forward to this next week, less than a week away from the opening game against Hawaii. We have Dan Weber joining the show. He's been at each and every USC football practice this fall. Want to get an update? Dan, what's going on, sir? How hey.
3: are you? Hey, we're... We're into game week. Uh, It does seem like a long time. Uh, It's a a different kind of a, you know, the 21 straight days, uh, only a couple with, you know, two-day practices. uh, It it has a different flavor this year in terms of of how camp has gone. I think part of the reason is is so many guys are back. You know, so many guys have done this before. When you talk to uh, Deion Bailey after practice yesterday, he's saying, he said, Last year he said, I'd never played in a college football game. Hayes Pollard had never played in a college football game, not a down. He said the difference where we are now compared to where we were at this exact time last year. He said, I'd never been a linebacker before. <laughs> he said, it's unbelievable. He said how different things are. And it does have a completely different – I mean, the kids, they don't seem like they're that much older, but they're really in a different place. Uh, you know, its uh, it, it had a whole different – Character this year, uh, uh, the fall camp than than I can remember.
1: Well, they there was some some big news I guess late in fall camp over the last over this weekend this past weekend, uh, naming the starters: um, Matt Barkley, T.J. McDonald, not a shocker, uh, Nikel Roby, Khalid Holmes, and then some scholarship news we got yesterday where Kyle Negretti, <laughs> Matt Barkley tweeted this out: Kyle Negretti, the USC punter, one of the best in the Pac-12. Uh, probably the best in the Pac-12, got a, a scholarship and also announcement. Well, not official announcement, but word that we've got from our sources that all three former walk-ons, Tony Burnett, Will Andrew, and Abe Markowitz are also back on scholarship. So a lot of big news over this past weekend.
3: Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, we kept asking Lane the question and every day. And uh, and again, we, we were, we're not sure if he was speaking to us in code or or not, and there may be other reasons why they couldn't, uh, you know, pull the trigger until the last night before class started. Uh, But uh, from what we understand, with Kyle Negretti at the end of practice, uh, when Lane was out, after he'd talked to us already, he was out talking to the squad, and they were talking about today, and they were going to first day of class and no practice and take care of all your, you know, Class needs and scheduling needs and book needs and all that. And Lane, as he was talking about that and giving them advice, said, "Oh, and by the way, Kyle, uh, when you go to the bookstore, don't pay for your books. You're good." Which was Lane's way of saying, "Kyle, you've got you know after two years as a walk-on, you now have a scholarship." So, <clears throat> and I know some of the other walk-ons were pretty sure they were okay, but. That hadn't been stated yet, and I know they were kind of looking at one another thinking, what about us? I think Lane all along has pretty much said they were going to be all right. Uh, but there may have been, you know, a situation in, in the way uh, all of this has gone down with the 75 scholarships limitation and that they can't take any away from anybody once they're awarded and all the, you know, the, whether Darius Rogers is, is um, you know, going to make it through the clearinghouse and all that, there may have been a whole lot of factors that made it so that they couldn't do anything before last night, the very last night, basically of camp and pre you know, school uh, before today's first day of class, something like that. But it happened kind of in an informal kind of, uh, uh you know, they didn't call a press conference and so they didn't send out a release, uh, to, to tell you about something that really has been a you know a big point of interest and focus for a lot of people, in terms of uh, you know where the kids that had, had you know uh, scholarships uh, had earned them as walk-ons the last two years were they going to be able to be renewed, you know for this year certainly looks like they have. That's what everything that everybody that knows you know from the inside is telling us that yes they have.
1: So some good news there for former walk-ons that work their tail off and practice. We're happy for them. Um, There's also some other news, Dan. We had a question from Greg in the OC about the ban on talking about injuries. He wanted to know, like, how extensive is it? What, what, what does this really cover as far as what we learned about uh, from Lane Kiffin on Sunday?
3: Well, in, in some ways, it would seem to be total in terms of they're not talking about them. And we're not supposed to write about them. The problem gets into areas like how do you write the Robert Woods returns to fall camp story without writing about Robert Woods' ankle? Or how do you talk about Hayes Pollard and the heck of a job that he's doing as middle linebacker and then necessarily moving Anthony sorrow to Hayes Hayes's will linebacker spot without discussing the reason why Hayes has to be there at middle linebacker. There are some gray areas that it's, it's not as clear in terms of, is that an injury uh, reference? Is that a strategic reference? Uh, And the thought is, well, there are places where the injury, um, uh, you know, when you talk about injuries, you're also getting into strategy because it uh, enables an opponent to focus on a particular place where there might be an injury. And there's no question about it. There are some, you know, it's a competitive disadvantage for a USC who has open practices to do that, uh, you know, and, and face and facing teams that have completely closed practices and no information about injuries, like Oregon, for example. How does USC... but be- Oregon closes their practices, so and the, the coaches don't talk about injuries. The players don't, therefore, no injury information. But the difficulty with USC is practices are open to the media, uh, but then there's this you know sort of gray area. I think one of the things we had decided to do because the coaches and the players weren't really supposed to address injuries, we didn't want to make um, guesses about injuries. what was the injury you know what was the injury? what are you know the prognosis and all that kind of thing. So I think at least some of the, the reporters said the only thing we can do at this point is say what we're seeing. So the reporting was essentially, here's what I'm seeing. I'm not trying to diagnose it. I'm not trying to guess what it is. I'm just telling you this is what I see. The problem there is that becomes pretty, uh uh you know definitive in terms of who's practicing and who's not practicing. When does it look like they might be back or not, and all of that kind of thing. It's not an absolute, you know, in terms of, you know, I mean I think much of the time we would talk about a particular player, you know, I'm I'm one of the people who sees the glass half full. So you would also write, but it looks like uh or we're hearing the player maybe saying I'm going to be back next week or whatever. So, we're not sure that you could take those reports and absolutely if you were game planning against USC, use them to game plan against USC. But, you know, if you're a USC coach, you can say, "Oh, that gives them that gives them more information about us than we have about them." So, we're going to work our way through this. This will be interesting to see exactly how it plays out. You know, our hope was that Go back to the, you know, one-word, you know, category for each player who's either limited or out. And and right now, only four would qualify for out from our standpoint would be the four, you know, surgically, uh, Trey Madden, Devon Kennard, uh, Devontae uh, 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 Wilson, and uh, uh, Jordan Simmons. Okay, those four would be, and, and our thought was, if a player is um, – able to put his pads on and go to practice even for a minute. And then he goes to rehab, just li- list him as limited. And they might be 20 or 25 guys on that list, which wouldn't help opponents all that very much. But Lane didn't exactly want to go there. He said, well, that wouldn't mean anything. And we said, exactly. That's the point. They wouldn't know if a guy missed one play or, you know, or 99% of the plays that, that, I think it's a big story and I think it's going to play out in, a, in an interesting way. And I guess the thing we all hope is that they don't decide that, you know, in order to be exactly competitively, even with everybody else, they have to close practices um, like most every other major program does. And we're, you know, we're very appreciative of the fact that we do get to to have the uh, understanding of what USC is trying to do and, and, and to be able to, reflect that in our stories by being at practice and so we want and want that to continue so we certainly want to work with them we are there at their behest they allow us to be there and uh, we uh, we have to respect that with usc that that it's definitely their call
1: all right um well the other thing that happened over this past week is we got a tour of the brand new john McKay center we have a question. On that, uh, a, a voicemail question I'll play for you. <clears throat> Excuse me, Dan. Sorry about that. Um, we also put up on peristylepodcast.com. I did a little video tour, about six minutes. You can see the, the highlights of what was going on inside of it. So you can check out that video for yourself. And then here's the question on the McKay Center. Morning, Ryan. This is your buddy Greg up here at Signal Hill. They got a question about the new John McKay Center. Uh, is that facility open up to the public? Uh, will USC um, schedule tours to go through the entire facility? I just wondered if you can give us all an update as to any sort of public access. Thanks a bunch and fight on.
3: Okay, uh, Greg, it's uh, definitely not open to the public. I mean, they're, they've done all the fingerprinting of everybody that has access to the building, and they've got the biometric. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, put your thumbprint up there and the door opens. And if you don't, the door doesn't open. And uh, it is a, it was designed for a couple of ways, uh, a really private place. Uh, a, because of all of the academic uh, stuff that's going on there, the counseling, the uh, computer labs, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the academic session, the tutoring, and, and all of that, that that takes up, what, 22,000 feet of the, of the first floor. The second part of it is, with all the uh, football coaches' offices in there, you really have um, uh, an awful lot of recruiting material, recruiting activity, all of that. And, and with everybody today, with cell phone cameras and all of that, you know, it will be very easy to take a picture or you know, do something that in some way somebody could publicize it and say, you know, you're publicizing recruiting, and that's uh, against the NCAA rules. So that's the second part of it. And the third part of it is you basically have that entire uh, uh, bottom floor where the, you have the open uh, turf, uh, you know, uh, field, and uh, you have all of the training facilities, all the weight facilities, uh, you know, and, and it's all open and, and, and all, you know, accessible to anybody that's down there. And and one of the things, you know, is the fact that because of the training, you know, you don't have closed off training rooms now. So there is almost a privacy issue if, if kids are getting, uh, you know, therapy, if they're getting, uh, you know, consultation with the trainer. Uh, they, they have a lot of open space where they can actually work with people in terms of their movement uh, and making it easy, you know, to go from the trainer's table to an open space where you can – you know, uh, you know, do some movement and do some running or do some whatever so they can really observe you. So this is all open, and there really are privacy concerns. And so if you're just going to let people, you know, go through there, how do you do that in terms of and, and still manage all of the, the things that you're trying to do with the McKay Center? Uh, you know, uh, one of the ways I think they, they did it the other day, it looked like uh, when they were getting ready for something to they had uh, – people lined up by the hundreds to, to get a little quick tour. And I think on a day like that they haven't started classes and, and they can kind of, uh, you know, walk people through there. And I know they're considering, once they figure out exactly how to do it, on game day mornings, on Saturday mornings, to uh, to have maybe a regularly scheduled uh, uh, tour of McKay, which I think would make a whole lot of sense uh, to, to do that, let's say, every, uh, you know, Six times a year for game day, uh, uh, pre-game, would be kind of a nice little thing. And, you know, at that point in time, you probably wouldn't have very many uh, being treated there. And you probably also, you know, could put the uh, academic stuff, you know, uh, in ways that it would be secure. So I think that's what they're going to try to do. And I think that's what they're eventually going to do. But, uh, But I think that people... We were kidding the other day that maybe we got people a little too excited. Okay. Everybody wants to get in there, but I think if they give it a little time, uh, they'll be able you know, to get in there. Uh, but I, and I think they, they want people to see it. Uh, it's just, uh, they need to figure out how to do that.
1: Okay. Um, we had, uh, we talked to coach Harvey Hyde a little bit about the defensive line depth, but there was also a, a specific question about Christian Hayward. I thought we'd direct towards you. Um, shakalaitis does look like what his name is said we hardly hear anything about christian hayward how is he progressing this year i read somewhere that there are questions about his focus and or durability
3: well i mean i think he has to work his way back having missed uh the time that he missed last year with uh, you know a couple of different uh you know health uh issues and i don't know how again that's last year so i think we can you know reference it but uh i think uh, what we've got now is uh uh Every day I kinda of try to focus on, on Christian to see and it does look like he's kind of working his way. He's getting more chances to, to, to really get stuff to do. So I, I see him more uh you know, getting into the, you know, flow of things and getting into the mix and, and uh so uh, but he's a key one to watch and uh, we because of the fact that they don't always go in pads, uh Probably the defensive line is is the most difficult thing to assess in terms of when they're not in pads uh they either make plays or they don't make plays, and um, when they're not in pads, the defensive lineman probably gets the least chance to show what they can do so that that leaves us uh with uh i know with you know Coach Georgia on and that they kind of say, well, let's see how they do in the games you know they're gonna get a chance and uh and see what happens but uh but he is an absolute i think you know, key uh, for them to be able to do the kind of rotation that they want on defense to play, uh, you know, four defensive tackles, for example. So uh, uh, not an answer that we have about Christian, but he certainly uh, uh, he could be part of the answer. We just don't have that answer yet. So uh, when you see 97 in the game uh, Saturday and the next Saturday, uh, keep an eye on him because I think, you know, he's going to really matter.
1: Um, all right we have a there's three different questions on the defensive backs, so we'll try to go through these quickly first you can probably get through this pretty quick any chance we see Deion Bailey move back move to I'm sorry uh, jD and DC wants to know any chance we see Deion Bailey move to cornerback
3: absolutely not no no he's a uh, he's probably at right around 211 pounds to be the biggest cornerback uh, probably in Close to anyway in college football and uh, <laughs> that's not where his attention is going. I mean, I, I think there's each year, there'll be a question of uh, a safety uh, possibility and, and which may be where certainly where he ends up in the NFL and where he was before he um, moved to this hybrid, uh, you know, outside linebacker. But I think, you know, it's taken him a year to really master exactly uh, what he's doing now. So no, no, uh, no, cornerback in his future. And there no need. Uh, there really are enough, uh, Uh, guys with experience and talent in the secondary, but I don't think they need to be moving more, you know, certainly not out of the linebacker spot where where the numbers aren't the same.
1: Um, Okay. Scott in Denver said, based on the recent Isaiah Wiley news, I'm a bit concerned about the depth at cornerback. So another cornerback question here. With Harris being out with an injury and Bauckham not getting much time because of academics, who do you see stepping up, for the third and fourth cornerback uh, options, does Ryan Henderson look like one of those guys?
3: Well, you know, it's a possibility. I think uh, the other day we saw Ryan Dillard, the walk-on from Atlanta, who's got an awful lot of talent uh, in there with the second group. Uh, uh, we've uh, Debian Shelton have, uh, uh, was in there for a while, and uh, we can't say why he, he was <laughs> the other day. Uh, Kevin Seymour, another freshman, uh, I think was in. You know, were kind of in the mix, Uh, and then you've got uh, um, uh, Josh Shaw uh, got to play both positions when he was there uh, on Saturday. Uh, So uh, I think they, yeah, I think they're fairly comfortable with uh, uh, who's going to go where. You know, again, they're not saying this, but I think they're fairly comfortable that. uh, Torn Harris will be able to, you know, contribute there, and I think one of the uh, the things that the way we didn't play it that way, but the Isaiah Wiley story, you know, might have been played in some places is, wow, you know, this is a setback. USC loses a starting cornerback. A, uh, USC didn't, I don't think, at any time think that Isaiah Wiley was going to be back. They didn't at any time practice as if they expected him back. And when you look at the cornerback position from last year, Isaiah Wiley was basically the third starting cornerback opposite to Cal Roby. Torrin Harris was the uh, first cornerback and was there for four games. Then Anthony Brown was there uh, for two until he broke his leg at the Cal game. So Isaiah Wiley ascended to the starting role and finished the season the last six games, but he was basically the third starter at that quarterback spot and the other two are back uh so you know it's not like you know the cupboard is bare anthony brown has played you know really well and they have you know lane has, has almost not been able to say enough good things about what he thinks uh torn harris's future is so uh, uh concern probably uh, reading the isaiah wiley story probably shouldn't uh elicit kind of a sensation of, oh, now we've got a problem. Uh, Nothing changed, pretty much. I mean, Isaiah wasn't going to be back. And uh, the other two guys who actually won that position last year before he did, uh, both are. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's easy to get a sense of worry, but I don't think it's deserved in that particular case.
1: All right. Uh, and then we have one other one on the defensive backs. Uh, John wanted you to compare some of these young defensive backs uh, to, to people that uh, USC fans are already familiar with. So he mentioned Kevon Seymour. How, uh, how far along is he compared to where uh, Nickel Roby was as a, as a freshman? Um, and Gerald Bowman wanted to see who he thought about him. And also Josh Shaw. Seen, he th- thinks he's like Pinkard's versatility maybe just a little bit less speed and more size. What are your thoughts on those three defensive backs?
3: Well, like, I think, uh, Kevon Seymour, when you start comparing them uh, to the Roby, for example, and this is something I hadn't realized. Lane mentioned yesterday <laughs> in the opener two years ago, they pretty much played like 11 guys on defense, you know, on that heat and humidity at Hawaii. And he, I think we figured out Nikel uh, Roby played like 90 plays <laughs> in his first game. That's not going to happen with any of these freshmen now, nor do any of them look like they could, you know, they could do that. But both Kevin Seymour and, uh, and Debbie and Shelton, you know, look like they're ready to play. And um, uh, more so than we would have expected for the, you know, the average, uh, you know, kid coming out of uh, out of high school. Uh, so I think they might get a chance to play. I, I think the whole question of retro with those guys is really an interesting one. I think that's one of those, you know, where... You know they haven't maybe made up their minds in terms of uh, where those guys are going to go. The fact that Saturday in the scrimmage you saw Josh Shaw uh, get a little bit of cornerback again, even though more of the time he and uh, Gerald Bowman were together at safety, uh, tells you that they're not a hundred percent sure. I mean, Josh Shaw you know like almost six one and two hundred pounds, so he doesn't look exactly like a cornerback, but he has those cornerback skills when you ask him. You know, he said, the best thing I do is cover people and cover them aggressively and run with them and, uh, you know, come right up and get on them. So he kind of got, you know, uh, the uh, safety physique, uh, but with the cornerback kind of, uh, you know, skill set. So he's an interesting interesting mix. And, and again, uh, I think they have to be thinking about next year, losing three safeties after this year you have to have a couple of safeties really ready to go, which is what I think they're thinking about with Josh Shaw and, and Gerald Bowman, you know, two big, strong. And Gerald has lost some weight, gotten himself down to about, you know, 205. And um, he looks more athletic this way. And um, he uh, uh, is somebody who I think performs better in the, like the scrimmages and the games, maybe than in the day-to-day, you know, uh, you know, practice uh, where you can kind of, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe not be focused as much, but he looks like a guy who can make plays and can certainly contact people and, and get to the ball as he did in one scrimmage and, you know, deflections and, and, and that kind of thing. And he's he just a, kind of a neat, you know, bright kid out of, you know, out of Philadelphia, just uh, uh, hard not to like him. He, 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 he brings a lot uh, to the table. And I'm sure they're thinking next year, Josh Shaw, Gerald Bowman, uh, you know, we're going to lose, uh, you're going to lose Jawanza, Starling, and P.J. McDonald. And you have to have, And you know, if there's anything Lane Kevin does, it's take a look down the road and take a look at his big book and, and figure out where are they going to be this year and the next year and the next year. So I think that's some of the thinking going into what do they do with Josh Shaw this year. Uh, I think an awful lot of what they want to do is get him ready for next year. Uh, because as important as those safety positions are, they do not want to have to come in with somebody that they're, uh, that they're you know, trying to you know, get ready for the first time after playing a year of cornerback. So uh, I think you're going to have to kind of go with them on, on how they do it uh, at, at two positions with Josh, I think, this year.
1: All right, and then one last one. Uh, Mark wanted to know any update on the, uh, the master lease for USC at the Coliseum.
3: No, you know, after seeing what happened with the uh, city uh, council on the uh, on the village uh, development that USC you know, is put, wants to put in to gentrify the neighborhood and uh, add, what, 5,000 to 8,000 jobs and all kinds of, uh, you know, development, and the city still can't quite pull the trigger on that thing and needs more money from USC and all that you realize how difficult these things are to get done. I mean, there is only one answer to the Coliseum and that's for USC to take it over and, uh, and, and consider it part of the, you know, university community and, uh, you know, and and keep it up the way they keep up everything else on, you know, on the university property and make it a, you know, a jewel on Figueroa. And, um, and yet, the city still you know and all the political people still haven't been able to get their act together which is really uh maybe uh emblematic of what some of the problems we have in our political system that we can't come together on something so basic i mean no one else has the money no one else has the expertise or the manpower to get the coliseum right and yet they still haven't been able to get that right and to get it finished and there's still a you know, lawsuits going on over, over, you know, the, the most recent agreement. Uh, so, you know, to say that, that you, you see light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, honestly, I went to some of those uh, uh, Coliseum Commission meetings and, and you wanted to just ram your head into the wall after you saw the people who were sitting there representing the city and the county and the state uh, making decisions for the Coliseum that no more had any idea you know, than I do, you know, fly a jet plane is in terms of how <laughs> to manage that Coliseum, which is exactly why they got in so much trouble that nobody was monitoring the people that were actually actually running the Coliseum and, you know, what they were doing with all those contracts and all that money that just seemed to go away and no one's sure what the heck happened to it. Uh, clearly, USC has to take it over. Clearly, USC will end up having a plan. Uh, in, and figure out how much is this going to cost and how are we going to do it? And, and you know, but if we're not there yet is enough to make you just really wonder about the, you know, uh, the, the capability of our, uh, you know, modern American political you know, system to get things done uh, without having to take care of the the uh, people who think they need to be taken care of before you can do anything. Uh, so, I wish I could tell you, I think there's a, you know, that they're going to get that whole master lease, you know, cleared up. I know the USC people, they've been doing this for a long time, and they know it takes a long time uh, when you're dealing with the city. But with USC's track record and what USC has meant for the city of Los Angeles, uh, you would think they darn near have carte blanche, especially for a situation like the Coliseum, where there's nowhere else for anybody to go other than turn it over to USC. But- uh- what am I? What
1: do I now? <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, thanks for the updates there. And next week when we talk to you, it'll be about an actual football game. So that'll be a lot of fun. The great Dan Weber, thanks very much for coming on.
3: Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Okay.
1: All <laughs> right. Thanks, Dan. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Don't forget to get out to the Coliseum on Saturday. Check out the Trojans against Hawaii, and we'll talk to you all next week.